Hey there. Oh my gosh. How are you? I'm good, but I'm incredibly shallow, so I should probably leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it's, you're that Annalyn McCourt? I thought you were the... The, the one who cares about, you know, life and mental health and meaningful things. No, that's not me. <laughs> Listen, so, right. This is so funny. I, so I'm looking you up and, you know, I've got a team that, that finds, as I said, you know, not just awesome people, but people that are, are trying to do good things in the world and make an impact. And, you know, they found you and they sent me over your bio and I, I immediately, so I'm, I'm of the older generation where I was the original 90210. Okay. Like it was 90210 Mondays and Melrose Wednesdays. Yes. Okay. This is like before your time. I think you're, I think I looked you up. You're about 10 years younger than me. So although maybe you were sneaking it and your parents didn't know, but it was a little inappropriate for probably your age, but I was like right in the thick of it. 17, oh. 16, uh, just ate every drop of it. Right. And then when they did the remake, even though I feel like I'd aged out of that type of television, I was like, Oh, I got it. Like got it you got to do it <laughs> and i remember i remember you came on the screen and i was like that girl she's got she's got it she's got whatever it is that they say you need to to make it i was like she's got the goods like you just like you just you took it over and so kudos for your for your acting abilities and obviously that was was that your first role or are your face um, your first major role that was that was a pretty that was kind of the one that hit i um the other one that was around the same time i was on nip tuck for a full year season oh my god yes i totally forgot you were on nip tuck i watched every nip episode okay nip so tuck, that's I was, why i remember you yeah. i was a lot nicer on 90210 than i was on nip tuck. <laughs> oh you were a little temptress that's yeah. right so you were with what was so there were the two doctors. You were with the one with the the, the dark hair, right? Yeah, the the one who had been married, Dylan Walsh, who played um, Doctor McNamara. Um, Doctor McNamara. Yeah. Oh my God, you're bringing back all these. I know it's like I could go I could go on for an hour about you. Okay, so that was fascinating. Okay, and how did you like? Can you go through the process of just because I just think it's so fascinating. So you've been in Hollywood for a while. You're trying to get a break. Like, how did you get this role and how did it kind of come to fruition? It kind of was your big break. Yes. So it was interesting because I dreamed of being an actress since I was nine years old. I grew up in a trailer park, so it was never going to happen. And I was like, screw you guys. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. I was like, I'm making this happen. And I actually was homeschooled from kindergarten through 12th grade and graduated when I turned 15 and because I did like summer school and just wanted to like graduate so I could leave home and go study acting. So I went and studied acting in New York. I went to LA when I was 18 to try out pilot season and which is just like when all the new shows are being shot to hopefully get picked up in May in New York and it's just like a big free for all, a lot of stuff going on and you hope that someone sees you and picks you. Uh, no one picked me uh, for that, but I did get some small little roles dur during that first year. And towards the end of that year, I auditioned for Nip Tuck. And, <laughs> you know, that show, if you, if you guys have watched that show, it's rather scandalous. Um, oh, my God. That was one of those shows that started, sorry to interrupt you, but I just, no, I have to, I'm, you just took me through a time warp. And I know I must have known that at one point, but I didn't put the two and two together when I when I knew I was interviewing you. I was focusing on the nine hundred two one zero part, yeah. but I totally remember you on that show. That was one of those shows that started off fairly tame, 
And every season, they just up the ante. And when I say up the ante, I mean, it's almost indescribable, the levels that they took it to. Because, like, by the end of it, the, I remember this. I was like, you're just like, what happened to my brain? <laughs> Did, right, right. And, and it was kind of, but that kind of was like 90210, not as much 90210. Melrose, though, in particular, if you've ever watched any of the Melrose, I remember that kind of happened season after season. All of a sudden, like, people are murdering each other and, like, just like, <laughs> totally. sleeping with everybody's, you know. Uh, as you do. Sleep yes. with them, so, murder them, not necessarily in that order. Yeah. Not in that order, right? <laughs> you know, unless you're a necrophiliac, which, hey, more power to you. No, not more power to you. Stop doing that. Stop that. Uh, stop that. So, okay. Okay. So, sorry. Continue on. So, yep. So, your journey and, and the, yep. Yeah. So, so I, my agent sent an audition and I was like, is this the direction we're going with the beginning of my career? And she's like, just go in for the audition. I'm like ever this little, the arrogant nine-year-old who didn't care what anybody had to say, continued to become an arrogant 18-year-old, perhaps a slightly more humble, but maybe a little bit still arrogant 34-year-old now. Um, but I just knew this was it. This was what I was going to do. And I read that audition and I was like, the actors who are going to show up for this are not going to do what I'm about to do. <laughs> Oh my God, that, you went I, for it, didn't you? You I, went I for went it. I went all the way there. I literally, one of the scenes, Eden Lord is pleasuring herself. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I put oh, on wow. these boy shorts. So I had, you know, I was fully covered or whatever, but I just, when the moment came, I just went, <laughs> <laughs> and the poor oh my reader, God. the reader was like, uh, and he read the same line twice and the casting director was Liz Dean. She was just blowing me kisses when I left. She was like, oh my God. I was like, because I was like, I'm really good at extremes. I, I was good at horror films because I was like so intense. And this, I just, anything that someone's not willing to do, I'm that I'm your girl. I'm going to go all the way. Can I just tell you like, okay. So I always talk about like the whole bold thing and like how it's the bold that get ahead in life and that take the chances and kind of give fear the finger and are like, Okay, this is gonna be a little scary, but I'm gonna do it because I know that 99% of other people are not going to. Definitely not and going to. That's how you get places in life. Like you doing that obviously stood out. I mean, you're you're gorgeous. I'm sure there were other gorgeous actresses, uh, right? So, and I, I I've got enough friends in Hollywood and actors that I know that it, no matter what you look like, I mean, you, there's got to be some sort of break that you get and you got to kind of do something to stand out. So good for you for just absolutely going for it. I, I was like, that. let's go. And, and you're so right about being bold because I'll read, I, I, I do have a certain aesthetic. Um, and that aesthetic, I was informed very early on. I used to go in a lot for Joseph Middleton, who later became the head of talent at Paramount. And he he would always have me, I'd come in, I'd read for the lead, which this was prior to the anti-hero, anti-heroine kind of theme. And it was the, the little goody two-shoes girl. And I would read the lead, he would give me size, and he'd like, go in the lobby, read through these, and come back in. And I'm like, it was always the bitch role. And I'm like, Joseph, one day I was like, why do you always send me out? You clearly like me. You keep bringing me back. You obviously, you know, I obviously don't suck. Um, so like, why do you keep making me go read for the mean girl? And he's like, because honey, you look like a bitch. And I was like, <laughs> what? But this was the beginning of my career. And I realized so much of my job has nothing to do with talent and everything to do with how you look. And if how I look when I walk in the room determines the characters that people will believe me as, unless I really push and I did 
push really hard later in my career once I had gotten 90210 to do right. roles that were independent where I get to be crazy and weird. But I can read a, I can read a, a script and audition sides, whatever, and I immediately know, like, there's no way they're going to believe on a tape that they haven't met me in the room and whatever that I'm going to be able to do this. So I just, I, I totally go off of the character. Like, I don't read anything about the character of what she's supposed to be. I totally do weird stuff because I'm like, I know you're not going to hire me anyway, but what you will do is watch this and be like, why would she make these really interestingly bizarre choices, you know? And oh, my God. I'll, I'll, you'll remember me. You might not know why you remember me, but you will remember me. <laughs> well, kudos because, right, I, you know, and that's, you know, you're saying it very calmly and casually, like, oh, I'm just going to do, but that's not an easy thing to do yeah. because it's, you know, 99% of us have this huge fear of being judged or, or being like, what is that person? You know, like, they don't want to be like, why is that person doing that? Right. And obviously acting, you kind of, kind of, put that aside. But I think even within the acting world, it's hard to kind of really go for it and just say, you know what? And, and when you look at the actors that have made it and you look at some of their early like audition tapes and, and kind of, you're like, okay, I get it. You're like, they okay, just didn't, we're, they a, didn't give we're a, a little cuckoo. If we, if we have something, we're just a little left to sit down. Oh my God, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I could have been huge. I missed my opportunity. You could have been, and you got a, you don't have a terrible face. I'm going to tell you, well, you're a pretty handsome man. Well, that's very nice of you. You know what? It's not too, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll call up my old connections and be like, yeah. you know what? Melrose Place, uh, that hasn't Hello. been least fun. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> And I can't believe that hasn't been respawned because I mean, that was like, so, all right. So anyways, so getting back to, okay. So I love it. Trailer park. I didn't know that about you, by the way. Um, I love that. Like the rags to riches, it's always makes it juicier and more exciting. And the fact that you were like, F this, I'm not going to be in trailer park my whole life. And you knew you had some, this talent, right. Which I'm always telling people, it's like, when you like, everybody's got different strengths and I always call them quote unquote weaknesses because it's like, just because somebody else is good at something doesn't mean it's your weakness. It just means maybe that's not what you focus on and go all in on. Yeah, and like interest level. Right. I, had, I had a psychiatrist who was trying to put me on ADHD medication. And I said, I don't have a focus issue. I have an interest issue. If I'm not interested, I'm not focused. I am tunnel vision when I am focused on something and I go all the way laser focused to the end. But if I, if I'm not interested, I just, it falls off. And I, I, that's just the way I am. I, I use the one thing mentality from, you know, from Gary Keller, like the, the counterbalance. I don't believe in balance. I believe in counterbalance. The reason that I got all the way out of the trailer park to New York, to Hollywood, did the did Nip Tuck when I was like 19 and then did 90210, got 90210 when I was turning 20. I was, there was nothing else. Like I, I have had to make amends with a partner who was a beautiful human, but I chose this over him and I wasn't very tactful about it. So that was not very kind. Um, I didn't plan on him and he's a beautiful human and a friend to this day, but, but I, if I had had the maturity of being a 34 year old woman, I would have been more honest from the beginning, but it just life happened and I was 16. So right, I give myself right. a lot of room because I was, you child. can't go back. Right. Well, you're going to make a ton of mistakes uh, yeah. in life and it's, it's about how you handle them when, when they happen and kudos to you for going back to that individual and, and apologizing. And, you know, a lot of people don't 
do that. They're just like, oh, I had to step on a few people to get here. And you know, it is what it is. And a few might be a very kind thing to say for themselves. <laughs> right, I, right. I was pretty cutthroat in the beginning. And I see that part of my dualistic nature. I, I, we all have our shadow parts and, and I honor my shadow. I dance with her. But at the same time, there's been some shit I've had to make amends for because of that bitch. <laughs> No doubt. Well, I mean, we all and, and I thank you for your honesty, because it's like, right, like, nobody's perfect. And we all have things. And, you know, I, there is an element of getting ahead in any business where you're like, super successful. I think it's extremely, extremely rare that somebody just absolutely kills it in whatever field they're in, without having some sacrifices along the way, you know, maybe other than the 16 year old that did a viral TikTok and now he's making like 20 million. They're like, yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, I was just skateboarding. And, um, you know, but that's like, people think that that's like easy and realistic. No, it's not like in real life, you've got to make sacrifices. You got to make commitments and you kind of got to go all in. And I always, I talk about these five core areas of life, your, uh, your mindset, your career and finances, your relationships, your emotional health and giving back and your physical health. These are kind of like the main areas we need to make sure that we're finding balance in and continuing to build momentum and to be our happiest and, and best selves. And firing on all cylinders is something I talk about. Like you want to be firing on all cylinders. You want to be like creating good habits in each of them and making sure you're, you know, you're pursuing each, but it's not always at the exact same time. And that's okay. Like if you that's need to spend counter, that counterbalance, right? Like, see, I mean, if you want to really become and go all in on like with you, what you do with your career. And I, I, I did it when I created, I had a restaurant delivery service, like a, a Grubhub or a, okay. uh, an Uber Eats for a while. And for 10 years of my life, I just kind of just pushed everything aside and went all in. And I look back and I'm like relationships, like physical health. I was still going to the gym and stuff, but like my other course really fell off. And, and then once I got out of that, I realized, holy cow, like, why am I not super happy? I just got this, we exited our business. We were able to sell it. Like, you know, everybody dreams of, and I'm like, wait, why doesn't this feel as good as I thought it would? It felt good for five seconds, but then it was yep. like, okay, now what? And I'm like, yeah. Oh shit. Now I get it. It's like, no, you, you can't be happy with just money and with just your career. Like that's part of it. And money's part of it. And like, we all have different goals and things we want. And if you want a jet, sure. Great. Okay. Set that goal, go for it. But if that's all, if that's all there is in your life, you, you're going to be lacking. I had the same exact moment happen actually with 90210. I was being offered the show and I was have I got my midlife crisis out of the way earlier. <laughs> I just like had a young life crisis is what I always call it. But I literally at 20, I Nip Tuck had been put on hold because we were in a writer's strike. So once we ran out of scripts, we couldn't complete the season until the writer's strike ended. So I had this little sabbatical more or less um, where a film that was already written and in production cast me and then I had one audition in the, what is normally pilot season again which is a really busy time typically but because of the writer's strike it was not and this audition was for 90210 and my agent calls me and I'm like again the arrogant little 18 year old 19 year old that I was I'm like I am not doing a show about Beverly Hills brats I grew up with nothing and I don't appreciate or respect anything about children who have it all. This is ridiculous. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> so judgmental and like what you're not supposed to be as an actor. But um, my agent's like, just shut up and go to the audition because she and I are really close and we had that relationship. And I was like, no. And she's like, the casting director 
works for Smallville. And I'm like, I was like, love Superman. Like, love. I love me some Smallville. I, I'm like, a huge superhero nerd. Superhero nerd. Huge. Okay, so I'm a little bit of a nerd too. So, or I'm a lot of a bit of a nerd actually. But I was like, wait, she cast Smallville. She's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be good to be there in front of her. So when Smallville starts back, you know, she thinks of you. And I'm like, okay, when's the audition? I'll go. <laughs> so she was very clever with me. She knew how to get uh, me through stuff. Yeah. Having but, yeah, that, that's good. You had a good relationship with your agent. I've heard some horror stories yeah. about that too. It sounds like you guys had. A good yeah, time. it can go one of two ways for sure. But um, but she she knew she knew how to you know turn my little turn my little knobs and get me to do the things that I need to do. Um, but so I go to the audition. They straight offered the show. Like I didn't screen test. I didn't call back. Like it was like a straight contract offer, unheard of, like ridiculous. Wow. On your and first like, wait, you didn't audition. I, I did the first initial audition with producers, never had a callback, never did a screen test for network, wow. never did a screen test for That studio. is very rare. Very rare. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. Oh my <laughs> my entire team is like, oh my God, what? This girl is a nightmare. Like, what? And I was like, I am unhappy. I am moving back to New York. I'm going to work at Starbucks and find a new passion because this is not it. This egotistical bullshit town that I'm in is not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I love I was, it. I was literally like, well, so then, of course, I said no. So they think I'm negotiating. So the, the network, so the network offers more money. I had an incredible, you know, education in negotiations at that point. I was like, you but, but for, stepped into negotiations like, serendipitously. Serendipitously. Oh my God. But I I, I'm from a trailer park, so I'm now pissed because you think you can buy me with money. So I'm like, <laughs> no oh times God. two. <laughs> so then they're just, well, we need this girl. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. Okay, so how did this play out? They offered me more money. They oh offered me a third offer. They're like, this is, we went to Les Moonves. We went to the high, the CVS. Like, we, this is the highest number we can give. Like, we can't give you any more than this. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> It was literally at this moment, this turning point in my life where I, and I did a TED talk about this. And actually I saw Frenchie London on here. One of the comments is someone who was at my Oxford talk, but I got to interact with the students at Oxford during this chat that I had a couple of years ago. And it was so incredible. Like you guys are amazing humans. Our future is like, is bright if we put it in your hands and take it out of the current people's hands. But I did a TED talk discussing my, I had my what, since I was nine years old, I had my what, my what, my what, I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be an actress. And when I but got- But you didn't hit, have your why? Is that what you- Exactly. God, I knew you were going there. That's so important. Yes, continue. It's the Sorry only, it's your five core points, everything. right? It, that yeah. is the why. We, the, the, the connotation put on the word success is so negative. If you look it up in the dictionary, it's not what we think of it. When we say successful, we think immediately someone's got a yacht, someone's got a house in the Hamptons or you know, a house in yes. Hamptons. You know? that's, our, yes. that's our vision of the word success when we hear it because we've been trained, we've been programmed. We've, yes. we've been programmed to believe in the American dream, which I call the American lie, <laughs> because, because it's the arrival theory fallacy. It's that we are going to get there. And like you said, when you exited your company, when I got offered 90210, like this is the thing. This is the thing that's supposed to make you happy. It lasts for about all of about five minutes. And then it's like, now what? And I hit this yes. moment of now what in such a profound way at 20 of all ages, but I'm grateful. I'm so Lucky. grateful that I did because I 
I got on the phone with my old acting partner. She's my best friend, like oldest friend to this day. I've known her half my life. And I called her and I was like, I can't stand this town. Like I'm all dramatic. And she's like, oh, calm down. You're, I read in the trades you're being offered 90210. Like that's amazing. And I'm like, ew, well, you're on board with all these people. <laughs> no, I was calling you for moral support. I'm moving back to New York. I don't want to be an actress anymore. This is stupid. And she's like, you are not doing that. <laughs> she was literally like, wow. you have such an opportunity. And so she has been since, I mean, since she was a teenager, she's been in, involved in all these incredible human rights efforts and, and has been an amazing advocate fighting human trafficking. I, I've now worked fighting human trafficking for almost 14 years because of her, because of this yes, conversation. Like, I want to talk more, I want to finish this, but then I want to talk a lot about that. I have some questions for that, but continue. Okay, yeah. amazing. Yeah, so she, I called her, she said, you have such an opportunity and such a platform to, to really help the world or this particular issue, which at the time, no one had ever heard of human trafficking. They were like, what do you mean? Like drugs with people? <laughs> I'm like, oh God. <laughs> um, so I go to Cambodia for the first time with her. Like I end up taking 90210 and doing the show. And I called my team and I was like, okay, whatever press we do, I want to talk about this, this human trafficking issue. And I barely knew what I was talking about, but I was educating myself. I was like, if I'm going to do this, it better mean something. And, and that was a turning, major turning point in my life. And, it's, and I'm grateful for both aspects. I'm grateful that I have my little meltdown. I'm grateful that I, you know, I, I shifted from the what to the why, and that became the foundation of my entire career, really. But I also, so many women talk about the fact that they don't get paid as much as men. I've never experienced that. I've never <laughs> well. experienced that because I learned at 19, <laughs> That yeah. when you say no, that and that there's a beautiful aspect of the masculine of men that they know their worth, and there's there's this apologetic education of girls and women. I think that has been a thing for a long time of just kind of like I was always told like, oh, you're a tomboy, that's so amazing. Don't throw like a girl. So there was this kind of sub subliminal messaging saying when you're like a boy, you're good, and when you're like a girl, you're not. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be like a boy. And I, I took on a very masculine trait. And, and it serves me in business. And women learning how to move into their masculine energy in, in business and hopefully move out of it when they're with their men so that they have that beautiful feminine energy and the balance in a relationship is something that I've had to learn and work with. But it started at that moment with negotiations and me really realizing I learned something that went against what most women, especially girls at my age at the time, are ever taught. You know, we're we're kind of we don't want to we don't want to upset the the flow of things, and we don't want you to think we're a bitch or whatever it is is kind right. of the way. And for me and work, I was like, now I'm just like my my attorney's so funny. He's like he has a background in criminal prosecution, but he who's like literally is an enter entertainment lawyer because he makes more money. Um, <laughs> but he he's like. He'll tell, I had a moment where I was with a, a different representative for a little bit, and he told the agent, he's like, hand the negotiations over to me. Annalyn would never go for this. She would walk, she would walk so fast. Don't say yes to this. And I, he, they were like, what? And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, guys, I'm very nice right up until you do negotiations with me. And then I was just like, bye. <laughs> bye, Felicia. Bye, yeah. Felicia. I get that. Uh, wow. Well, 
I feel like you got two really huge lessons in life because negotiation, as you probably now know, it's not just, it's another word like success. People just associate it with money, but it's everything. In, in life, you're negotiating everything, your, your value, your self-worth, when you're in relationships, when you're, you know, even in friendship, it's like you, you're, you need to show like, I have worth, I have value. And to mm -hmm. me, it kind of ties into being an owner of your life versus a victim, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, as an owner, I've got this worth. And if you don't see it, you know, but well, if you do, cool. Here's the, here's the irony, Will. I could do that for myself in business, no problem. In relationship, I was shit. Mm. Like, I had no sense of value. I actually, it didn't spill over. It was, mm. it, that was the, that was, I think that because I didn't fully understand it, it happened in such a, in a, in such an organic way that I wasn't doing it based on negotiating, but more understood. So yeah, 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 yeah. So I you, so you appreciate associated it with that. Yeah. Yeah, I so appreciate what you're saying because I have learned that that negotiation means more than money, and I am learning how to do and be and represent that in all facets and aspects of my life. But it did not cross over in my value system and relationships. And I was like this women's right, you know, like speaking on behalf of women and children. And then I'm like that's okay. You can totally screw me over and come back whenever you want because that makes logical sense. Well, so, okay. Well, and I'm glad to hear Help. that you, you've, yeah. Well, well, let me put on my little shrink hat here. Help. No, so, so it, it, it is. And, and I'm glad you, you, that was a great point you brought up because right. It's not like just because you're a good negotiator and with finances or with your career means you're, it's going to translate over. And there's just so many nuances to every person's life. And I, I know I read early about you that you had a, uh, quite a traumatic instance when you were younger as well. Right. We don't need to delve into that, but I'm sure that had something to do with your, the way you felt about yourself in the presence of men. Right. Um, major, and I'm sure that's self-worth issues, major confusion around sexuality of like, I had to do this so that you love me or love doesn't happen kind of thing. It was very, talk about negotiations. It was very transactional because I, I, that was, I was such a, I was a child and I like, I didn't understand that that's not what love is. So a hundred percent. Oh man. So do you feel like you have gotten to that place now? Uh, or are at least better and you're still evolving. Uh, how, how, how is that currently going? Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's definitely life is a healing journey, I think, but I am grateful to say that I, I cherish and honor this temple over here now. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Honor that temple. That for, <laughs> I did not honor myself for a long time. And I, and I have a lot of, I hold a lot of space for that period of my life because I didn't know I was going off of, I was living in survival and and in survival we we appear to the world sometimes to be able to make massive strides again with that negatively connotated word success right. oh she's but in I, a big series a big tv show she must be the happiest she must person be so planet. happy and it's like yeah. i was self-harming i was cutting up my arms i was suicidal yeah. i was trying to end my life i was all these things. i was suicidal as well yeah okay, okay. interesting i didn't know that Go. yeah so you understand you get it and you you know, I speak about it very candidly, but when you're in those moments, they are the darkest points of existence. And there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There's only a cave. It's not even a tunnel. It's a cave. It's just a dead end that goes into complete darkness, it feels like. And, and for me, it was this, you know, balancing this dark cave 
behind the red carpet with all the lights and like smiling. Yeah, that's so stressful, right? Like I need to put on this image, otherwise my career's over and people are gonna be like, she's value, doesn't have any value. She's this, exactly. oh man, that's gotta and, be stressful. And then there's the imposter syndrome and you feel like a fraud. I mean, it's just like layer of, I was like, I had a PhD of piled higher and deeper <laughs> level of, of just just one thing on top of another that was obviously leading me to and and I love I love like the hermetic principles the Kubalian the ancient Egyptian teachings that talk about like the the law of rhythm and the and how everything swings from one way the more pain someone experiences also opens up a space for more joy and I'm grateful to be in a space now where I'm grateful to be alive. I don't, I don't want to not be alive anymore. I wake up every day and say, thank you. I'm thankful for this body and I cherish it and honor it. And if someone does not, then they don't get to have it. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still kindly cutthroat with my negotiations in work and business, but I, I also want both parties to have a win. And that's something that's important to me. I started working with my mom is uh, my mom and her husband uh, work in real estate. And I've, invested in investment properties over the last several years and for me sometimes i'll take a little bit less than i my, my stepdad will be like you can get more than this i was like this family is gonna have a win <laughs> oh god i'm gonna have yeah. a win <laughs> I, you know what i love that so i i gotta pause for a second because there's so much you just said to digest i mean right every every time you speak i feel like we're, we are kindred spirits there's a lot of similarity so right real estate was that's how i started out i've always done real estate Okay. Real estate investing is like, that's what's up. I mean, that's talk about up. passive income generator. Yeah. Um, amazing. So that's, it's good to hear that you got into that and you're using your money wisely. I, obviously a lot of people that, that get a lot of money, they have no idea what to do with it. It's not like we're taught this stuff in schools, which is yeah. don't even get me started on my soapbox on that one. Like, okay, I, we're going to have to have a hang session after this because it sounds like there's a lot that we have synergistically. My happen. mission in life, one of my biggest missions is to change the educational system, to start Mine teaching too. some of the shit we were talking about right now. Oh right? my God. Okay. Yeah, we, we definitely. Okay. All right. We're collabing. I love it. Okay. We, we cool. definitely will. So, and, and just the whole like bitter. So when you said, uh, what what was the ancient philosophy that said you know you got to experience extreme pain to the law of make rhythm. room for the yeah, the pendulum swings right so I I always use the term without the bitter the sweet just ain't as sweet it's one of, from one of my favorite movies uh, Vanilla Sky very underrated movie yes very underrated That's very underrated. underrated movie say what you want about Tom Cruise that boy can act and that movie <laughs> was unbelievable. Um, and I, my buddy and I, I remember, we, so I just got gotten out of college and we had it on uh, DVD. Yeah. And we just watched that thing over and over and over again. And that, that without the bitter, the sweet just ain't as sweet. I can't even tell you how many times that has helped to bring me. I use it as a mind hack, like a little trick yeah. to take me out. Like when I'm in the doldrums, it's, all, it's in our nature to dwell and to focus on the bad things and to just go into that victim state like we were talking about earlier. But to like pull me out and have my owner be like, listen, motherfucker. Let's go, like yeah. get out of there. Um, I, I, I use that without the bitter, the sweet and sweet. And I think, God, you know, as, as much as this sucks, like if things were always puppy dogs and ice cream, life would not be nearly as fun. Not and the fun. next and big also, win that I have is gonna be that much better. You wouldn't wanna watch a movie where everyone's like, hey buddy, hey friend, hey. hey. Like, okay, cool, everybody likes each other. Where's the conflict? Yeah, you wouldn't have been cast in your first two big roles. I wouldn't be cast in any of my roles. <laughs> Wait, I meant, so did you ever get the role in Smallville? 
Did that ever come to um, fruition? I did not get the role in Smallville, but I did get to you meet. Were I did get to meet Superman, and uh, I was not mad about that, Mister Mister Clark Kent. Good looking dude. What's his name? Tom Welling. Yeah. Tom Welling. What is? He, what happened to him? Is he still I acting? Don't know. I've seen him for a long time. I actually don't know what happened to him. I mean, I know he's still making plenty of money out of Smallville. So. Oh my god! That so will, that will pay him for the rest of his life. Oh, he's but, getting residuals off that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for, good for him. But yeah, um, it was uh, my my life took a slightly different trajectory. I'm not mad about it. But but it actually did, you know, this shift the what to why and finding these different core aspects of, of foundational infrastructure and and scaffolding. I didn't have scaffolding. I didn't have mm emotional internal scaffolding so what i was building was all going to collapse at some point and the the as i layer upon layer became more successful um God, I, the, I love it. the the bricks of success were were weighing heavily on a on a structure with no scaffolding and i at a certain point that that was the beginning of multiple collapses <laughs> on the inside of me and how that, when did this when did this kind of occur what period so that the first one being the the like i don't want to be an actress anymore i think that was the yeah. start of it then i felt like i had a solid foundation because now i knew why i was building what i was building but because I had gone through severe childhood trauma, I did not have the, you know, my, my parents were 19 and 21, met 33, 33 days later, got married, had a child nine months later, had me two years after that, had another child 15 months after that, like literally, hi, nice to meet you, four years later, three kids in their mid-20s. It's just like nightmare.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they did not have any tools to be parents. They did not have tools to be humans. Um, so they, they, I, you know, that's a whole, you know, experience all in of itself. But as a result, they, they didn't know what to do with us. And they were growing up with us. Um, and I... I had a similar parent experience okay. as well. Okay, so we're just, I'm basically your life and same. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's insane. My parents were hippies. Uh, they yeah. got divorced when I was two. Um, you know, and it was just, my dad left. He went on a trip around the world. My mom was an alcoholic. And my, so ironically, though, my, my grandfather was a general in World War II, like a, a, a three-star general. And that's the background my mom came from. So she came from this very kind of, the opposite of you and then went the opposite way. Like, and then she, then she met my dad and he's like this freewheeling hippie. And she's like, I want that. that. I'm tired mm -hmm. of this, this, like everybody's jealousy and this like, right. You know, and, and, and then my grandfather like boycotted the, the wedding. She, they didn't speak for years and years. My mom, uh, he was an alcoholic, which is right. everybody right. was in the war Naturally. back then, World War II. Yeah. Uh, and then she got that. And so, yeah, I mean, childhood was an absolute bitch. Yeah. and that's that's why totally that would be how then, i would describe it an absolute bitch <laughs> it was a bitch and then i got so mine was my suicidal moment was um my freshman year of college and i was mm. just like i just don't even want it like because i was like okay fresh start like yeah. away from the parents away from i had other issues with with friendship because i had no self-worth no value <laughs> for myself similar to what you were talking about and <laughs> Well, and behold, I didn't meet good friends and I was picked on and I was teased and I just was like, oh my God. And then I was like fresh start at college and I just wanted to get into like some sort of group where I could be accepted right at that time. And like every, I'll never forget this moment. Um, 
so I, I went out and did the fraternity thing where, you know, you meet with different fraternities and I was just, but I, you know, I wasn't looking people in the eye. I wasn't having conversations. So looking back, it was no wonder this happened, but I'll never forget. They announced the bids and every single guy in my hall freshman year is like running down, screaming, like knocking on door. And I didn't get one. I was the only one that didn't get a bid. I closed my, my door, locked it, turned off the lights and like just hid in my bed because I was so ashamed. And like, I didn't want people to be like, well, what, you know, what sport fraternity did you get into? Yeah. And I was like, so, and then that's when, and it, this sounds, when I tell this story, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, rich, rich guy, no, no. Fraternity. but you know what, in the context no. of things, it was about just trying, just for once in my life, wanting to feel part of a group yeah. and feeling accepted. And then that didn't happen. And I was like, why am I here? Like, I can't communicate. My brain is broken. Yeah. And it was your typical, I was the definition of a victim. And I just Absolutely. fed into that. No, but, but you maybe to that's, that's one part of it, perhaps. But a victim is someone who lives out that story forever on and on into perpetuity. And I know some of them and you're not one of them. So what I see, and maybe this is where the, the, the feminine has to come in a little, but the little will who has dad split at two years old when he's two years old to, to do what probably what was a wonderful trip for dad and really, really, really destabilizing for little Will. Then mom is not present because mom is not capable of being present in this world. Her alcohol is much more exciting, which was probably wonderful for mom and really ter terrifying for little Will. The, this nucleus that's supposed to be family is not what family looks like and doesn't feel good and feels very destabilizing in the body. And this is why I go into this mommy voice that I have right now. <laughs> I love it. I I'm already, it. I'm like, I'm, oh yes. Like, Tell come here, let me yeah. hug you. But it's because the body is the baby, right? Our mind, we can easily say, hey, you're being a victim, cut that out in the mind. But we didn't have a mind at two. We were little babies, right? We were in the body. Right. We're feeling right. things that didn't feel good. So if you, don't, you feel things that don't feel good, it never gets reconciled. You go to f school freshman year, you're a new baby who's like, go I'm going to trust again. I'm going to trust that I get a family again. Yep. And the second you get there, you get told, nope, once again, you open no up your for heart you. for trust right. and you don't get a family. That's not about being a rich, well, that is, that's just real life. When we get ostracized in community, we die. We have to have community that we're social creatures, right? In, in the hunter-gatherer community, if someone was sent out of the camp, they get killed yes. by a beast, we yes. die. I talk That's about insane. that, right, it's in our, our DNA, hence why relationships is one of the, the five cores, 100% right. Like we have to have that as human beings. little will is in there inside the big strong will man that you are now. And there's, there's little will that's in there and he's so wonderful and he's found a way through all of this. But that's, that's been my journey is, is finding little Anna and realizing for what I can handle as this woman right here, I'm, I'm very soft, but I'm like an oak tree. We bend, we do not break. I'm very strong, <laughs> right? That's what we say in the I South. Like and like don't mistake my kindness for weakness, honey. Um, <laughs> but, but that little Anna, I honor her too, because, yeah. because you became a man and I became a woman, but they are little ones. They are, yeah. and we wouldn't expect of a two-year-old Will or a six-year-old Anna, which is where I kind of remember a lot of my things. We would not expect them to get these themes and, and think of in these, they just want to love and trust and, and share that with someone else. And when they get shut down or, or, or used and, and discarded, the, the, what that becomes, the animal that becomes in life 
can be very, I, I know, I went on to cause a lot of damage and a lot of harm in relationships and to people that I, I saw bad in all of good. And I could sometimes see a little bit of good in, the, in a lot of bad. But, but for the most part, I thought the world was a cruel, evil place that was out to get me. And I was going to get it first. And, oh my and God, that's exactly, that's exactly the way that I looked at it. That's and exactly right. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And that it was, had been pretty cruel up until right. that point. Exactly, right. And then that's, and for, for a lot of kids that go through, you know, we've all got our stories. Some, some have, you know, happy childhood. But, right, you get to that point where it's like, the, and that's where that victim comes in that I was talking about, where at the time I was 100% a victim because it was like, poor me, my brain's broken, the world's out to get me. And, you know, maybe, you know, at, at the time, it was like, my way out of it was like, maybe I'll hit the lottery. Uh, maybe I'll become really famous one day. And they'll all be, you know, and it wasn't until like, that was I, mine. Said, I was like, you'll see me now. If I become famous, you'll see me now. Never saw me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that I'm sure they did see you. Uh, you know, revenge is one of the best motivators. And that's, a, that's a whole other talk about that is a whole we can talk about. It, it is such a good motivator. And, and to me, like anything you can use, to try to get from point A to point B, as long as point B is is in line with, like we are talking about earlier, your cores and your valleys, and yeah. it's not just, um, and, but we, it sounds like we both went through a similar journey and that I, and I did, that, that stuck with me for a while. And I was like, mm -hmm. when I graduated college, and so I discovered personal development, I read this book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, my freshman yeah. year, holy shnikes, holy like, shnikes. thank <laughs> fucking God, I, I still look back and I'm like, if that if I hadn't serendipitously been introduced this professor that I like idolized he was like young he was cool like all the other professors were old and, and boring and this guy was like you know I was like I want to be that fucking guy yeah grow up yeah and he mentioned this book he's like yeah when I when I was younger I read this book and it really changed my life anywho back to you know so socioeconomics and I like didn't hear a word he said for the rest of it I ran to the to the library after and they fucking had it and I read it and it yeah. just I devoured it and I was like this is it. Like, why didn't I know this type of stuff existed? Like, I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to, and for years, it was like career and finances took, like I, I mentioned to you, a, a yeah. front seat. And it was like, I'm just become so fucking rich. Yes. And, and, I, and they're just going to be so sorry. Right. Yeah. And, and I, but I don't regret that. I know that wasn't the proper way of thinking at the time, but it, it definitely put a fire under me. And along the way, thank God, I continued to read. And I was a self-help beast, just devouring everything I could. And I always, and, and, and so I was kind of learning along the way. And by the time it all came to fruition and I did sell my business and I technically didn't have to work for the rest of my life. And most people would think, okay, now That's you can it. just go sit you on a it. beach and drink that pina colada. What's up? Like, and then it like five seconds later, like I said, I was like, oh shit, now what? But I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming and it was shorter even than I thought it was going to be. I was like, maybe there'll be at least a couple months where I'm just like, I'm just I can play golf and just do nothing. Uh, but it was very quickly. I was like, okay, what's the next? Because we are, we are, we are people of, of, we have to be moving. We have to be growing. If we're not growing, we're dying. If we don't have a goal and if we're not moving towards something. So you reach a goal um, and if it's just financial and there's nothing else tied to it, then it's like, well, okay, there's- What are we you, doing? Right. Yeah, the, the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is another worthy read, um, yeah. he says that he's like, we solve problems. It's what we do. If we don't have problems, then we create problems. And that is very dangerous. So why not, why, why not, 
look at life for the amazing conflicts that you can help to solve. One of them is one of your core values of, of giving back, right? That is something that, right. that is a problem that you can never solve. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, right. no I'm trying to find it. Sorry. I'm so this, what you just said, okay. okay. I keep this in my desk. I look yeah. about it all the time. What you just said is exactly this. It's called, uh, it's in reverse, but at the top it says, we strive for more because we feel dissatisfied. We feel dissatisfied because we strive for more. And it's this infinite loop, yes. right? And this, this freaking thing, like right when the app came out, the iPhone came out, there was, I'm like going through, there's only like 20 apps, you know, it was like brand new. And it, one of them said the meaning of life. And I clicked on it and it was this. And there was nothing else. There was no description. There was no, it was just this, this wow. picture. And I remember looking at it and being like, we strive for more because we feel dissatisfied. We feel dissatisfied. And I remember getting like really depressed for a second because I was like, so wait, so basically as human beings, we constantly need to be like, like we, we constantly want stuff. And then when we get it, we're not satisfied. And then we need to want more stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what the, I was like, that sounds awful. I was like, what am I just a rat in a maze? But then when you look, but then I, then I figured out like, okay, if you can use that for instead of against you, like if you can just say, all that means is you need to always be growing. And like, yes. when you, you've got to have goals and when you reach a goal, you set a new goal and, it's the, new goal. It's, the, and it's the journey to the goal that makes you happy, not we, the actual getting there. We do this thing where we attach to the outcome and we attach, we attach, we attach when we get there and it's not the way we envisioned it was going to make us feel or make things happen or whatever, whatever, that attachment to that outcome has us locked in this place that we can't get out of. Whereas if you just connect with the potentiality of an outcome without ever needing, I always say for my highest good or for my highest good, if this is supposed to happen for my highest good, otherwise, Give me something else or, or I would like this and more this, you know, this or more, this or this or different, this or better, yeah. whatever, because the, we, in our lovely linear minds, <laughs> we have this ability to look straight in front of us or straight to the side of us right. or in the rearview mirror straight back, but we don't see how fluid life is. There's, a, oh, yeah. there's the golden sequence, the Fibonacci sequence, right? Everything is spiraling. It's not a straight line. It's yeah. a spiral. I like that. And, and if we can get our minds to bend, <laughs> if we bend our minds a little bit, it's like Inception, the movie Inception with right. Cabrio, right? Right. See things, see things differently that we didn't see. see them yeah. The, I, whenever I have a goal now, I used to have a very fixed straight line towards a goal. Now I imagine it as a street in the desert and then in the desert it's flat so you can just see forever right but when you get very very close to the end of the street that's the moment you can see if the road turns mm. and sometimes you're meant to head all the way towards something exit that and turn yeah. the corner right good for you good for you so many people don't get that and they that's just become laser focused like you're saying on the wrong thing um that and they think well that was my goal so i need to get it but it, you, you know temper there's gonna be obstacles along all the way pivoting is such a big part of it and just staying true to like okay what it is i really want like you were saying at the very beginning of this conversation like what is my passion like what is it i truly that just lights my fire yeah. and if as you're going towards the goal you realize that that goal is not going to get you there hop off to the next road like you just yep. said i love that
Absolutely. Someone asked on here, how do you get out of a victim mentality? And I'm, I'm sure Will could actually give you a lecture on this. I just, I know from my own personal experience, removing myself from a victim mentality, I use a lovely little algorithm written by an author named Byron Katie. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She, she yep. wrote um, Loving What Is and, and in several other books. But she basically says, judge your name. Um, what is it? Judge your neighbor, write it down, ask four questions and turn it around. And she gives you this little questions algorithm in it. And she asks you whatever you're saying about yourself that makes you feel the victim conversation. So she would ask you, is it true? And then you're typically going to be like, yeah, of course. And she says, can you absolutely be certain that what you're thinking or saying about yourself or someone else is true? Mm -hmm. It's very hard to be absolutely certain of things, right? I'm absolutely certain that the sun is hot. That's for sure. The sun is definitely hot. Ah, if, ah. if I if I get anywhere close, to, much much closer than we are right now, I could definitely burn up. That ah. thing is hot. Otherwise, I'm not too certain on a lot of things. And good point. when you when you ask in with when you look for when you ask why or you ask into something, is this really true? And where did this come from? Is this really true? And where did it come from? I I I'm a burden to everyone around me. That was one of my suicidal thoughts. It was like if I was gone. If I was gone, I wouldn't be a problem anymore. That was one of them. And the other one was, if I'm gone, they'll finally notice I was actually here. That was another one of them. I was, oh, I remember that one. I, had know, that, that, I didn't that, have the that, first one. I had that the was a one good one. Sure. That one really gets That's a really good. I'm like, but I won't know because I'll be gone. And right, you are right, exactly. Account. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's a great like, point. There's that. I have a morbid sense of humor. Forgive me. But oh my but god, I, I love your sense of humor. It's right I up my have, alley. I did too. I have to laugh. We have to laugh about it. We have to find the light to. because and that's what I'm doing. And that's this. This. I mean, this is. I could not have asked for a more perfect interview. Not all my interviews go this way, but like my whole thing is, I'm trying to gamify personal development, wellness, whatever you, I don't even like the word personal development. I feel like it's got a negative stigma. People think of like Tony Robbins type people and nothing against that type of person. But to me, it's like, we need to get to that younger generation, just like we were talking about earlier, like to the kids, to the, like coming through college, like the fact that I was suicidal and it goes to, it's not just school, but like your parents, it's a freaking crapshoot, right? It is a crap and shoot. then it's like, you get what you get. And if they don't have the good values and the things to kind of get you like, what was the word you used earlier? Uh, your structure, your uh, My scaffolding. Scaffolding, yeah. They don't give you that scaffolding, and you're not getting it from school. And then all of a sudden, you know, media, TV, and, and the main kids, you ain't getting it, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's no wonder that teen suicide is at an all-time high. It is yeah. going up every yeah. single year, especially for females. Um, and you know, you look at social media, you look at our pol our political world. I mean, oh my God, like. Talk about bipolar fucking planet. It's like yeah. you, it's so right. It, and, right. Everything's divisive. Right. And regardless of what, what side you're on, you're only like you were just saying a second ago, it's like, you're only seeing and agreeing with the things and you're seeing linear that you think, and, and it's, and it's total. It's like, it's like the sun being hot. It's like, well, of course, when I read this, it's true. And of course, Democrats are assholes. And of course, Trump, you know, and it's like, right. And then that's when it gets dangerous because then you're all in on that mentality. You, your phone knows that that's the type of stuff you click on. And so then it starts showing you more of it. Did you oh, see the yeah. social dilemma, by the yeah. way, on Netflix? How fucking yes. great is that? Right. And I mean, just to kind of summarize that, it's like your phone 
is showing you the things that they, you're, so these companies have a fiduciary responsibility to make as much money as possible. Yep. Your happiness and wellness ain't in the equation. Mm -hmm. And if you click on a gun ad, like they had that good example where that kid, and he broke up his girlfriend, he's like scrolling through and he sees a gun ad, oh, just click on this. And then it's like, all of a sudden he's in this like hate group and it's like, it, and it just compounds on itself. Yeah. That's very realistic. And this is exactly what happens because then your phone starts showing you more of that stuff. And it's because these advertisers are paying for them to show you. Yep. And you're, so that's a whole other conversation too, but that's all contributing the school, your, peer, your parents, peers to this broken society where people feel less than and this victim mentality. And it's refreshing to speak to people that see it like you, but also have a good sense of humor about it. Yes, you've got to have a sense of humor. My, my little sister and I, we, we just like, <laughs> we both, you know, have been through a lot. And so we have to find the lightness of it all. But she's, she's in a county, a school district where she her son's too young for school right now but um but the, i reached out to the superintendent of clark county nevada because um he basically between march covid shutting down the world in march of 2020 to january of this year 21 un, like school age students had committed suicide in clark county nevada one was a nine-year-old little boy oh my god not been on this planet for a decade and took his own life. And so my, my aspiration with schooling is to implement nervous system regulation practices for children and educators so that it's my nice way of saying meditation and mindfulness, but not everybody's into that. Um, but right. Again, right. Regulation. There's negative connotations with that stuff. So however you need yeah. to package it to get in front of people. Yes. I'm all you for can't that. tell me that you don't want your child's nervous system regulated or your really we should have a different conversation about what kind of terrible person you are um but <laughs> but like the, the uh, first of all not to mention the school set up of like a factory and we could have that talk when we have um coffee sometime but um but the the fact that we put children in a setting where we want them to learn and then we give them so much anxiety and duress and expect them to retain what they're supposed to learn. The brain is now expressing cortisol, adrenaline, stress hormones that are secreting through the blood system, the, the bloodstream, the nervous system is being completely dysregulated. And it's like, also retain information and get good grades. Right, <laughs> right. What? right. And if you don't, and if you don't test well or score well, even though every kid's brain is built differently, some kids are naturally gonna do well on tests and some kids are naturally gonna be good actors or be creative or, or, or good artists like but then but those people and and I are, are persecuted as uh, you're bad yeah. your brain is broken you're not smart and it's like holy god talk about screwing people's heads up, talk about screwing people up. so you taught you said you don't like personal development it's because you're right we shouldn't be personally developing we should be undeveloping we should be unbecoming yes taking the layers off that have been put onto oh my us. god we fixing a broken system I always say yeah exactly right it's, it's starting from scratch, re reinventing, re re rebuilding. Totally, yes, yes, totally. Yes. Two-year-old Will knew what was up. Yeah. Little, yes, and I loved him. He's so <laughs> I love him, too. Oh, my God, that Will little and six-year-old Anna know what's up. And I use, okay. I asked six-year-old Anna, I'm like, please be my guide. Please let, please show me when I'm off course, because you can feel it where I'm thinking too much. Six-year-old Anna's in my heart. Right. And in our, in our heart is where all of our yeah. wisdom resides in my feeling and belief and sense of the world and the universe and all oh this.
God, you are a wise, wise lady for 30. I mean, you know, I got 10 years on you, but it's, it's honestly the six year old. It's not me. (laughs) Six year old. Sorry. You're six year old. She's very wise. I, however, can be very petulant and bratty, but like the, that, that part of me is the one who knows it's the one who sees the one who feels and doesn't try with her sense of omnipotence and absolute lacking omniscience. (laughs) Like the, the, I, I'm over here trying to think through something that needs to be experienced. And that, that isn't, and children lead the way on that. They experience life. They live life through experiences. We live life up here and then kind of go out in the world and it gets all stilted and awkward and we don't know how to interact correctly. And we think you're wrong because you're doing exactly what I'm doing, but it's not benefiting me. So I don't like you for it. What? (laughs) Children just want to play. God, you right, and to me, like so. One th- where where we haven't mentioned that I think is important is like is universal principles in terms of like when you get to when you're as you're going through life and you're trying to figure things out, and especially nowadays, as we just said, like you know, nine year olds committing suicide, they have access to phones. There's there's so much stuff coming at them and telling them, trying and they're putting themselves in a box even more than it used to be in the past, and thinking that okay, I need to be this, I need to do that, and it's like it's so hard to sort of figure out that direction. Um, shoot, oh, I had such a good point and it's gone. Come back, come back. Good come point. back, little Will. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but one of my, one of the, so I, I, uh, I'll come back to that. But yeah, I mean, the gist of what we're talking about, it's just so important and it, it's so true to like get that stuff early on kind of, and yeah. like we're saying, like with the, whether it's schooling, parenting, however you want to package it. And that's what I've made my mission in life to be. Like when I sold my business, I was like, all right, how do I bring, you know, self-help to the cool kids table? Like, how do I make it fun? And so I'm doing things like gamify it. I have an app that's going to like make it addicting and fun. So when you level up on screen, you level up on life. You've obviously figured out a great path to do it, but that, you're rare. I mean, most people, you know, they do go through life. They have all these questions. They never get the answer. They're just grabbing that low hanging fruit all around them versus kind of taking their life into their own hands. And oh yeah, so universal principles, full yeah. circle here. You know, there's certain wisdoms and truths that have been around since the beginning of time. They're gonna be around until we destroy ourselves. Mm-hmm. And these are the things we need to understand and to get and base our actions and our decisions around them, right? Everybody's different. You're gonna experience these principles differently in your life. But it's like, you know, just for instance, like do unto others, just a simple universal principle that everyone knows, the golden rule. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, like, duh, but how many people do you know lie, cheat and steal and try to screw people over for yeah. a living? But if they, but, and they're not really happy, even if they get what they want and they, they screw them over and they get money, they're not living happy lives. And it's like just instilling these things from the early on and being like, this will make you happy if you live your life around these types of things right. to me is everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's for me, necessity is the mother of invention. So I, I was in very dark places where I didn't have a choice, but to find a way out. And, and the only, when you're on the bottom, the only place you can look is up. So at a certain point I was, I was climbing my way out. I was having to move upward. I couldn't, you know, it was like, I can't go any any further down than this. And in that process, one of the things that I, I discovered and deeply hold to is that all of this wisdom is within us. We just, we're just taught to, again, we're, we're, we're taught to become something that covers it up. 
in the unbecoming process, in the removing of the layers, in the peeling off of the programming and the teachings and the, the all of the all and the lessons of society and culture and, and all it does not do for you. When you come back to that very simple self that is this, the, the child, the self that feels and experiences life, you will read a book like winning have friends and influence people. I'm Somebody just asked that. How to win friends and influence people. I, Dale Carnegie. I, yes. Yeah, I saw that on there. I was like, I was trying to remember Carnegie Hall, but he, the, this is where I got literally, I was at, I was literally living just above that in New York when I read that book. Oh, you've read it too. God, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. My sister, was, my sister's obsessed with it. Right. And just for those watching the guy that asked that question written in like the forties and yeah the exact epitome of what we were just talking about, like with, with universal principles, like the gist of the book is, it ain't all about you. Make it about the other person, make them feel special. And you will never worry about finances, relationships, like, like you know, like actually genuinely care and put focus and, and make other people feel special and want to help, help them. And it's like, holy shit. I and mean, he does a masterful job, but that's like one of these things. It's like, okay, here we are 80 years later and you could read that book today and in fact, yeah. I think they did, they, they did update their references. They probably need to do it again. And you would think somebody just wrote it yesterday. And that's it's the type of so story. timeless. Yeah, it applies. It's, but it's also I, I, one of the things in there in that book and in books like it that are timeless like that. And you mentioned ancient wisdoms. It's one of the Buddhist teachers that I like calls it the unthought known. It's when you read something and you get chills or you're like, yes, or you're like, I feel like I know this, but I've never read it before. It's, you never actually consciously thought of it, but there's a sense of knowing inside you that this resonates. And that's never how heard I that. I like that. Books. Read, like even this conversation, take what makes sense for you and resonates and leave the rest. Only what resonates for you matters. What we have to say has worked for us in our lives, but doesn't always apply and, and might not be the way you apply it in your own life. I love that. And, and that's so important to say, because I think a lot of people kind of roll their eyes. They're like, oh, I have the gold roll, but it's like, it's, it's about, and sometimes it takes us like, I mean, cause I, I, like I said, when I read that first book, I became this insatiable beast and I was like, <laughs> here we go, baby. And I was getting my hands on like every book I could, I could possibly read. And a lot of things didn't click with me until like the fourth or fifth book that I'd read around a similar subject and the one guy said it in just the right way that yeah. hit me in a certain way and I was like oh shit yes and then it was like then I took a, a step back and I'm like wait all these other guys were saying that but for whatever reason it didn't so that's such a great point that you said it's like and I always say write things down I think it's important because like yeah. if you don't it's going to go right in one ear and then the next shiny wiggly Instagram <laughs> TikTok thing is going to get you gets you you know right and and it's the things are like these are important to me and that's what i did and that's what became the book that i'm still writing 20 yes. years later that's going to get published one day uh but it's just writing down all the things like yes i've now read this a bunch of times i've now seen it in my life and experienced it like this is legit this is a principle that you can hang your hat on and like making sure like like we were saying like this is the stuff that needs to be taught in schools and they absolutely. need to get this stuff absolutely and and that set up schools to create critical thinkers versus little robots which is what we have been creating uh, as of you know yeah now. i mean you're right but we, they haven't changed the the educational system since since the uh like in 100 years like it was yeah. started for like factories and it was and designed it's basically the same the, yeah. the bell ringing, the foreman at the front, like the whole thing was set up for waste management of humans. It was like, you're going to make the cut, you don't make the cut, and then those three are going to go off yeah. to college, but whatever. 
like it was literally about putting getting the next generation into the factories so that the big companies could make you know and at that point in our history which is really profound before that we had all these little shoemakers who made these shoes and you would go get fit for a shoe and it was there's little shops actually in london where there's a whole street of just the tiny little storefront that has button-down t-shirts or button-down shirts and then this tiny little t-shirt store and the tiny little shoe store but what factories did was they said you are no longer of value we are going to put value on your time so how many shoes can you nail a nail into the sole of and pass it down the assembly line between 8 a.m and 5 p.m wow. and that's what we'll pay you for not because you're good at, at at the shape of a shoe and making something that makes you feel dignity and, and a sense of integrity in your work and who you are as a being we're going to fully remove your sense of value and creativity and creation and we're going to put you in a line and we're going to go down the line and oh let's build schools to figure out who are the best ones to put in the assembly line because they won't ask questions and they won't they won't stir up the apple basket or and all of that and it was always about condensing 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 it was never about expansion if you're talking about critical thinking skills, that's a problem in a factory. We don't want you to have critical thinking. Oh my God, Anna Lynn, you're too. taking the analogy I always use and you're just, just taking it to the next level. <laughs> totally, yes, I love it's, that. I've actually never heard that, but that's 1000% true. It's crazy, it's like, it, 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 it makes me, well, I was homeschooled from kindergarten to 12th grade, right? So I had a very unorthodox schooling experience because by the, my mom always says by the time I was in third grade, I had passed her and I had, because she couldn't help me anymore. She was like, um, I would have a math problem in sixth grade. She's like, why don't we pray about it? I'm like, you know, I think God's great and all, but I really think he's a little busy for my fucking math problem, okay, mom? I'm gonna like go to the library and I got teach yourself how to do trig trigonometry, teach yourself how to do algebra in at a library in order to do in order to actually know how to do my mathematics in high school but I loved math I loved school I loved learning but I got to do it in a way that was fit around me and I I didn't know that I was supposed to be in this peer group and fit into this clique and and be you know all of those elements that that put a child who's experiencing the world into like uncomfortable situations and doesn't give them any tools to handle them just says also learn all of this and i have a photographic memory i have a very high gpa because i have a photographic memory not because i'm somehow a better person or, or a smarter person or whatever that's the other thing albert einstein said if a fish judges himself by his ability to climb a tree he'll think he's stupid his whole life like that like a fish Ooh, can't climb it. a tree right that's yeah. what we do to children we put them in school all in this big free yeah. for all and Ooh. and we look at the world at large today and we wonder why an algorithm on a phone makes them believe what we think are ridiculous lies and it's no we we, we program them for this we put them through 12 years of of don't critical think for yourself and don't ask questions and I don't understand why you can't think for yourself. It's so weird. You just right, then we, right, then we come does. down and I'm like, don't you, I mean, can't you use your brain? It's like, well, I've been programmed not to. What do you mean? Yeah, uh, I'm using yeah. it for exactly what it was trained to do. Nothing. Oh, man. I just had the unthought, is it the unthought known? Was that yeah. the phrase? I just had that with what you just said. Like, just boom, like, yes, 1,000%. Thank you. 
you awesome. just honestly i don't always learn things on these uh, <laughs> that was really I'm, really good i'm so honored to to be here with you yeah. this is just a oh this is so fun i feel like we could talk morning. for a, a zillion hours so I, before we go though i i definitely want to and we're going to talk offline for sure yes just too, there's too many things we could definitely. talk for a million hours and i like you, when you know you know okay yes Let's talk about human trafficking. So Mitzi Purdue, are you from, okay. Do you know who that is, Mitzi Purdue? When I say that name? Yeah. You probably think chicken, Purdue. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> it is chicken. Uh, okay. So she is, I interviewed her about a year ago, was connected through the author that wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm. And I interviewed him and he connected me to her. And she's an unbelievable woman. Um, <laughs> she's, you know, she's probably in her late seventies, early eighties, sharp as a tack. And she is really into human tra trafficking. So she's the widow of Frank Perdue, the chicken mm -hmm. magnate. And she's also the daughter of the founder of Sheridan Hotels. So she's oh, wow. seen a lot in her life. And she's yes, seen, she you know, um, you know, so from a success and growing a business and, and how to do things. So it, she's a fascinating woman. But human trafficking is like her. And I'm literally where I have this group that I um, talk with once a week. And she's, she's part of it. We just do a live Zoom. We, it's required you have to have a glass of wine or a beer Absolutely. or a drink in front of you. Uh, I'd love to have you on one. And, we, yep, and it's just she's... a small group of us. And we just chat about this type of stuff. And, you know, I, I've been helping her with this human trafficking. Um, that's her whole thing and her main thing, I should say. She's, she's involved in several organizations. But, and I just helped her put a, this PowerPoint presentation together mm -hmm. to start pitching. She wants to make a video. She's taking my whole gamification thing. And yeah. she wants to use that to kind of make a dent in human trafficking. Cause it was kind of goes to like what we were saying earlier in terms of like, it's got a bad connotation or people hear and they go, oh, I don't know. or mm -hmm. what is that is like what you said earlier. That was hilarious. Like the trafficking humans or uh, drug, like drug, drugs whatever. Are people, like, drugs what? are people. Right. Uh, so to clarify human trafficking, I'll, I'll let you talk more about it. But yeah. so she, and so she's doing this and she's talking to a couple, like she's got all the connects. She's like, a, she's, I'm like, she's, she'd be humble. She's like a billionaire. So she's like, knows everybody and all the big people. And I'm going out to see her in a couple of weeks in New York, actually. And oh, cool. she uh, has met these video game programmers and she's like, I want to create a video game on human trafficking so that people can see it where it's like, they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves but they're saying just how bad it really is. Yeah. And they're not glorifying it like a lot of these games do. And then there's like little like subtle things to kind of be like, hey, you can go here and if you want to get more involved or you can do it. versus like, you know, cause how hard is it to get people involved in what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. right? To get people yeah. like interested. It's like, you're talking to the wall sometimes, right? Yeah, you're talking to the wall, but it's also people care about what's relevant to them. And, right. and where, what I what I've learned and it's interesting because right before COVID decided to shut the whole world down, we launched a global campaign that will in fact take place when uh, you know when the the globe is fully open again. But we have plans to travel to 22 different cities. We got two of those cities before the world shut down, which was here in LA and New York as well. And the the idea of the campaign is kind of it was it was the amalgamation of my own personal experience. Uh, three years ago, having childhood sexual abuse trauma memories return after 30 years of never knowing that this was my story, working, fighting sexualized violence against women and children for a decade, literally hearing my own story over and over again, my brain never put two and two together. I never remembered. And, and it was because I wasn't safe. Sorry, I'm like, people are 
friends on a group text line. Go away. I can't see Will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I literally, I had overextended myself in my work and the things that I was doing in my life and commitments to such an, a point that my brain was like, you're not safe. You're not safe enough to remember these things. This is going to shut you down. You're going to be taken out of, and I was, I was out of society for, you know, a good year there, at least half a year. It's really like five days a week in treatment and, and um, SE, like somatic experience, body work, trying to release this out of my cells. It was trapped in my body. I was having seizure convulsions like that were replaying the memories the way like a war veteran would grab a gun that's not there and think he's on the battlefield. My body would relive wow. the things that were done to me and like play it out in, involuntarily at any given moment. So I... Literally, I called the founder of my organization, who's a survivor of human trafficking. She was sold when she was 12 for 10 years, escaped, got out, got educated, and has rescued over 7,000 girls since the mid-90s. She's the, an incredible human being. I call her a badass with perfect nails because she's like both both extremes. She's like from here to there. She's like, I'm, like, I'm going to save some kids, but let me go get my nails done first. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I love it. Good, right? I love you, it. I love just it. Just break it's, all the stereotypes. You don't have to be. All the stereotypes. Right. Love it. So, so she's definitely, there are no, you can't stereotype anything about her, but I called her and I was like, Somali, I'm not coming to Cambodia as the president of this organization. I am coming as a little girl that need, you need to save. I am messed up right now. And I was, I was like, just, just broken and shattered and just in pieces and emotionally and even mentally, even physically, I was, I was like, I felt like just, just small in a big world that was terrifying. And and so I got on the plane, got a one-way flight to Cambodia, and just stayed there. Two of the girls that I put through college for psychology were my 24-7 care through the night, like, there with me. It was just this full, full circle situation where my doctor said, she's like, you literally created a community around yourself and then remembered the memories that you would need that community for to support you. It was, it was literally, like such a profound life altering moment but i got to be there i got to go through this stuff with 75 little girls and somali and and all of the staff who have all in different ways been through some kind of trauma and i was just one of the kids it was like wow. it, it wasn't strange it wasn't weird i i got that peer-to-peer -peer support but in that process i realized this has been really relevant to me i can't be upset about you know, whomever from Ohio that doesn't see or feel or experience this, I understand that this cause is very relevant to me. The fight in modern day slavery is very relevant to me. And then I was like, wait a second, 7.8 billion people are enslaved right here. This is fucking relevant to everybody. And oh, it was God, like, yeah. it's shifted. And so the Love Storm campaign, we named it the Love Storm because I was like, I had this storm inside me. Alchemy helped me turn it to love. But also we want to storm the planet with love. And I didn't want it to be like some hippie thing. I was like, I was like, I will definitely hug a tree. Don't get me wrong. But that is not what this is. My love has spikes on it. Like I will, I will, I will punch you in the face with my love. It's like really fierce and intense. <laughs> I feel it. I feel I'm, like, I'm like, I want you to feel it. 
so the idea of the love storm is also, I could see all these amazing organizations through the, the decade and a half I've been doing this. They're doing incredible work, but there's one over here and one over here and they're like little waves on the ocean and I want a tsunami. I want us to come together and be one big massive that. wave that fights this issue. So the campaign is about bringing together local organizations into a big network of, of, of the fight to end human trafficking with the basis that we're ending slavery from the inside out. If you come and you get involved and all you ever do is break the chains inside your own mind and end slavery in your home, I'm fine with that because slavery is, is not a tangible, it's an idea. Slavery is an idea that has a lot of power behind it and we need a better idea and that idea is freedom and it starts with personal freedom and it moves from there because we've had slavery in our world for thousands of years and it hasn't gone anywhere. And a lot of people have tried to eradicate it. We're trying to clean up the outside without cleaning up the inside. So yeah. this whole campaign is we're going to end slavery from the inside out, clean up our own personal inside. And if you then still feel it's relevant for you to get involved, please join us. Please join our mission and, and, and do what we're doing to try to get physical chains off of physical human beings. But don't do it until you're ready to clean up your own home like the inside of you i did that i did a lot of projection and 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 i got far ish but i i fell apart in the process i don't want i don't want you to fall apart i want you to do this with your whole self or do it in the, the capacity that you're capable of so that's kind of what the love storm is about it's it's about this fighting this issue but realizing that it's much bigger than just a tangible 48 million literally 48 million victims of human trafficking worldwide it's a big issue but 7.8 billion is a bigger number and we actually need to start there we need to start on the inside and work our way out that's the point of the campaign oh my god you just did what i was saying i mean you're doing it in your way um just like mitzi's trying to do and it's basically like you need to you need to figure out how can i appeal to everybody like yeah. right because like you just said i mean and that's a really great point like everybody's got their things and, and they're going to care about certain things and they're not going to care about others. And if you just put something like, and human trafficking, like what is that going to do for anybody that doesn't understand it? It doesn't, can't relate to it. Like, mm. you know, donate here. No, like you've got to connect and you fucking nailed it. You went back, you did a full circle back to the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about coming from the inside out versus like originally you said, I knew my what. Yeah. And then you're like, then I connected with my why. Let's wrap, let, let's wrap this up with, um, please, and we were talking about human trafficking. You were talking about what you're doing. I was saying I love how you're, you know, in a way you're gamifying it by, you know, you're making it fun and interesting and you're, you're reducing the friction to be able to tap in to a part of people that we all have. We all have compassion and we all care, but there's just so many things flying at us. Like we were talking about the other day, the social dilemma, you know, from every which way you got 80 zillion streaming services you can choose from now and your phone mm -hmm. and your double, your double, what do they call it? Like your double, triple viewing. You got your laptop, you got your phone, you got the TV. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to, you know, to focus in on things. So thank you for sharing your, you know, your take. And is there anything else you want to talk about with human trafficking while we yeah. have you and about your organization? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the main thing. A, a realizing where slept the issue of slavery specifically, because when you sell a human being, you are enslaving them. That is the they, the the United Nations. They don't like that term very much, but they they like to use the word trafficking. It's much more modern because slavery implies that this has been going on for a long time and no one's done anything about it substantially. But I like you. Wait a minute. That's term. exactly what's been going on. 
It's exactly what's been going on. But yeah. it's all it, the reason that I use that word more specifically is because it's relevant to 7.8 billion of us. Because at some point in our lives, we will believe we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not wealthy enough, we're not successful enough, we're not beautiful enough. Whatever that, whatever that not enough narrative is, all of us have a moment with it. We all have a dance with it. And some of us dance for a very long time with it, and it feels a lot less like a dance and a lot more like a nightmare. And that is what I want to end. I, I want every child, including the children inside the big people that are trapped, to be set free. So that means ending human trafficking, ending modern day slavery, ending slavery of the mind and of the human inside the human body. That's it for the five core life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that like button on this video and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when new episodes drop. Also, please fill out the free five core life evaluator quiz. It's a great way to get a baseline of where you are and the five cores and which of the five cores you need support in addition, you'll get some actionable advice that you can apply and start improving your life in the areas that you need it most. That's it for today's episode of the Five Core Life Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Get moving. Gain momentum. Join the movement. Join Emmett by going to moremomentum.com to take a free life evaluator quiz on where you currently stand in each of your five cores.